Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the minor prophet of Micah. If you turn to the uh, New Testament, uh, the beginning of the New Testament, turn back about 10 to 15 pages and you should find Micah in your Bible. We are uh, in a journey through the minor prophets now. As I always like to say, uh, to clarify, they're not minor because they're not important. They're, they've earned the name minor because they tend to be smaller uh, than the what we call the major prophets. Uh, and they teach us very, very important things about man and our tendency to rebel in a God who is wrathful toward our rebellion and yet remains steadfast, uh, loving towards us. We're going to be in chapter 6. We're going to kind of use really the the... the Verse 8 uh, is kind of a framework of looking at the entire book of Micah. And what we have here is, uh, is really a courtroom setting, okay? Once again, Israel's messing up. They're rebelling, they're in rebellion, they're disobeying their God. And so in chapter 6, as he begins to wind down uh, the, the, the book, uh, what we have here is God really inviting them into the courtroom. And, and just telling them like it is, and questioning them about their behavior. So we're going to read verses 1 through 8. It says this, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and we will contend with Israel, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt. And redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised. And what Balaam the son of Beor answered him. And what happened from Shittim and Gilgal. That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so, I want to look at this scene, right? Like, God is inviting them into this kind of courtroom mentality. And, and at first, He talks about His goodness. We see that in verses 3 through 5. After he sets the setting of the courtroom, he speaks of his goodness to Israel, how he brought them out of the land of Egypt, how he gave them great people like Moses and Aaron and Miriam to lead them 
and godliness out of slavery and into their freedom. And he brings up this, this kind of obscure story. Uh, Balak hired this man, uh, Balaam, to, to curse the people of God because he saw Israel as a threat. And so he said, Balaam, come and curse the people of God. If you're not familiar with the story, do you remember the story of the donkey talking? Okay, that's this story. Because as, they're on, uh, as Balaam is on his way, God says, don't do this. Don't curse my people. Bless my people. And he gets to the point where he actually makes uh, Balaam's donkey talk to him just to confirm that, hey, I want my people blessed. I don't want them cursed. So he brings up this, this story. And it's just simply about in the midst of dangers and people that wanted to curse Israel and do evil against his people was a God who would not allow it, a God who took care of his people time and time again. And then the people make a counter-argument in verses 6 through 7. The, the people began to ask God, what, what would you have us do, God? What do you want from us? Do you ever read an email or a Facebook post and it gets you in trouble or it makes you look dumb because it's sarcasm and, and you get caught off guard because you're thinking the person's being genuine and really it's sarcasm and you end up looking like a fool. And you all, we always hear people say, I wish there was a sarcasm font. I believe that if Scripture had a sarcasm font, I believe that the words that are written from the people right here would be in that font. I think the people are being very sarcastic. I don't think these people are genuinely saying, hey God, we want to repent, just tell us what to do. Instead, I think they're being very sarcastic and saying, what do you want from us? Like, what do we need to do to make you happy, God? Is it a thousand rams? Just, just say it, we'll kill a thousand rams. Is it oil? You want, river? you want oil? We'll give you 10,000 rivers of oil. Hey, we know, let's just kill our kids, the fruit of our womb because of our sin. How about that? Will that make you happy? I don't think they're being genuine at all. I think they are still in rebellion. And God replies in verse 8, and it's that verse that we will mainly be unpacking. It's one of those great scriptures where, where we have God just boiling everything down into just a few statements of what life is all about. And he says this, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now he starts off the statement, Oh man, uh, this is the Hebrew word Adam, which is, of course, mankind. What he's saying is, y'all are, are always the same. You're all alike. You, you, mankind, you do rebellion. That's what you do. Don't come with me at questions of what I require. I've already told you, but you won't listen. It's what you do, man. God, I tell you what I require of you, but you don't obey. You don't listen to my words. Let's look at some of the sins we find in Micah, and, and they're going to sound awfully familiar. 
They would sound very similar to what we've already seen in the Minor Prophets. And they will sound very familiar to what we see in our own lives, in our own day. Mankind is terribly uncreative with our sin. I mean, really we are. What we do is, is just keep sinning in the same old ways. Look, we're just about to approach our, uh, just, just about to approach, I think, the midpoint of the minor, our journey through the minor prophets. And if you haven't had the thought already, I guarantee you, you will have it before we get to the end is, this is getting monotonous. Man sins, man rebels against God, God gets angry, and yet God still loves his people. Like it's just, and it's always the same stuff. And I would, I would say to us is that, you know, God's word is good and it's, it's every bit of it is inspired. And so maybe God wants us to feel that monotony for, for the summer. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need to realize that, man, this is, Minor Prophets is a, a representative of our own lives, that we are people who just keep rebelling against the God who is so faithful and so enduring in his love for us. We need to be reminded of the cycle of sin and judgment and repentance, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So if today or if you've already dealt with this or in the, as we go through this series this summer, um, if you begin to feel those feelings, just maybe God wants us to feel that monotony of the cycle of sin and rebellion. Just look at some of the, uh, the specific sins that are mentioned here in Micah. We have premeditated oppression. In, in chapter 2, verses 1 uh, and 2, it says this, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. And so it's premeditated oppression that, that what these people do is, man, they're, they're going to bed thinking about how they're going to rip people off tomorrow. Like, aren't you glad we're as a society above that? Like, we're, we're not trying to make a buck on someone else's shoulder, right? And, and in, on, on injustice to someone else? No, we do it too. And our society loves to trample people underfoot for the advancement of ourselves, and that's what they were doing. They were going to bed, just dwelling and planning their next evil move of oppression to steal money from or steal a field from someone we have a, a lot of testimony of a rejection of god's word and in verses uh we, we see that they stop listening in, in in chapter two verse six it says do they, this is them talking they said do not preach thus they preach one should not preach of such things disgrace will not overtake us they just do this na 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 we're not listening. We don't, not, not, none of that stuff that, that the prophets are talking about are going to happen to us. It's not going to overtake us. And in, their, in response to them, 
putting their fingers in their ears when it comes to God's proclamation, His word, God stopped preaching to them. In chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. He says, hey, you want to put your fingers in your ears? Okay, fine, I'm just going to quit talking. So aren't you glad we live in a society that values God's word and and listens to it? No, we live in a society redefining classic truths of Scripture at every turn. We see in them a rejection of the sanctity of life. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, a horrible description here. It says, "And uh, and I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like fresh in a cauld- in flesh in a cauldron. Aren't you glad we live in a society that values life? Except for the millions of babies that are ripped apart in a perfect description of what this passage tells us. They had a rejection of of leadership uh, responsibilities. Their leaders weren't leading. Chapter uh, 3, verses uh, 9 through 11 says this, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood, in Jerusalem with iniquity, its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Aren't you glad we have leaders that don't have all that crookedness going on? That don't have all that scandal? No, Washington is full of people who love a bribe and who love a good scandal and commit scandals all the time. And so in it, we must ask ourselves as they ask, even though they ask sarcastically, we need to ask sincerely, what does God require of us? And God says, it's not that difficult, O man. What I've called good, what I've already told you, what I've required of you, it's, it's simply this. First is do justice. Do justice. Now, it says here, do justice. We live in a society that likes to talk justice, but they don't like to do justice. Many signal virtue with hashtags and customized profile pictures on their Facebook but few actually are interested in actually doing justice. In a world where people talk a lot about justice, God calls us to be a people who do justice. Gandhi once gave an indictment of Christianity when he called it this. He said, poor, little, talkative Christianity. Now, I think that is both unfair and well-earned criticism. It's unfair because 
the very heart of Christianity is a testimony, it's a proclamation, right? Like, if we as Christians stop talking, uh, our faith shrivels. Because, because, it is, because we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, as Romans 1.16 says. If we as Christians do not talk of the gospel, if we are not talkative of what, who Christ is and what he's done, we have nothing to offer the world. But at the same time, we are called to be doers of the Word and not just hearers only, doers of the Word, which means doers of justice. Because God's Word proclaims justice. We should all seek to make the world around us a better place, not the expense of the Gospel, but as a way to seek to build bridges to get people to the Gospel. To, as Matthew 5, 16 says, to let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The gospel of Christ has set us free to do justice and every act of justice that we do points people to our God and the greatness of, of who he is and all that he's done for his people. Now let me just say a few words here. Because when we use a phrase like, do justice, or we use a phrase like, fight injustice, I think a lot of times what comes into our mind are huge, huge things. Are really, really, really big endeavors. Maybe running for office and fight injustice in, in politics, or maybe found an or, uh, or, or start an organization that, that fights human trafficking or, or fights uh, abuse and, and all of these things, like, or just a new ministry in the church that addresses needs of, of justice. And those things are awesome, and those things are great, and we've got to have Christians that stand up to do those big things but i often fear that like the mother the mother of small kids of multiple small kids in our church if they hear do justice they're thinking i'm just trying to do the laundry i'm just trying to do supper and i do i want to i want to care about injustice and i want to fight injustice but man i'm i'm neck deep in in serving my kids. And I think the, the, the young father who's, who's trying to establish himself in his career and he's, he's trying to, 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 to serve his family well and he thinks, I, I, I don't have time for any huge endeavors right now. I think we need to be very careful in realizing that when it says do justice, it's not just talking about huge acts of of doing justice. It's talking about everyday acts of justice. I mean, that's, I mean, the problem is not that they, that, that, that the people in Micah's day were, were not doing huge acts of justice. The problem was they weren't doing basic acts of justice. Listen to me, mom, when you serve your children, when you feed them a meal, when you're in tune 
to their spiritual needs. You're not on the sidelines of fighting for justice. You're doing justice. How many kids are there that are broken at that young age because there's no one to do justice for them? You are doing an awesome, awesome act in just those everyday, mundane, normal activities of parenting. And if you're serving in your vocation and you're trying to establish yourself in your career, you're not sidelined in doing justice. You're in the thick of it. Be someone who works hard for your employer that that, that makes just decisions for those around you. We need also not just look at the huge endeavors of justice, that, of, of doing justice that need to be done. They need to be done, but don't forget about the ordinary means of everyday doing justice. And there, there will come a day when you're mom of multiple small children, there come a day when your kids are older or your kids are gone and, and maybe you can do some more public things where people can see and that'll be great. But don't ever, don't ever think you're not fighting justice in your everyday life of serving your kids and the people around you. So do justice. Look for opportunities to do good to others. And then God also requires that we love kindness. The word here that is translated kindness is hesad, is hesed. Now that, that isn't, most times that's not a bad translation. It's just, man, it doesn't really convey all that that word, that Hebrew word hesed conveys. We see the command of love and love kindness, and we just think it's saying, hey, be nice. But it goes much deeper than that. Hesed carries with it a meaning of loyal love, or covenant love, or enduring love. It is, it is not just kindness in general, it is, it is kindness that goes the distance. It's not just an act, I mean, it does include an act of kindness, but it is kindness after kindness after kindness. Hesed is one of God's favorite words to describe his own love to his people. The Hesed, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The Hesed, or the love of the Lord, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We as mankind, we have a real problem with, with loyal love. Sin has tainted us where, man, we love to give up on people. We love to cast people aside. I mean, that is the very moment that sin entered into our world. And what did it do to Adam and Eve? It, it, it sent Adam from someone who just adored his wife to someone saying, God, the woman you gave me. We live in a world where sin has corrupted us, where no one wants to go the distance, whether it's 
quick and easy divorce or where it's a relationship that ends because someone said something on Facebook that you didn't like. I was reading an article, or I, I saw an article. I didn't take the time to read it. Maybe I should have, but I heard about an article a week before last about a man who's, because his mom had voted for Trump, it had ruined their relationship. That's crazy. Okay, if you ruin your relationship of the mom who took care of you and cared for you because of she voted for Trump or if she voted for Clinton, you've got problems. But we live in this political climate where we just want to give up on someone because they believe differently than we do. And yet God requires of us that we be those who love Hesed, like he loves, and enduring kindness. And God is simply asking us to do what he does for us. What he has always done for his people. In the close of Micah, the last verses of Micah in, in chapter 7, in this book full of indictments and criticism of his people, here's how God ends the book. Who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Again, that word hesed is used. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love, again, Hesed, to Abraham. And you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. The God of steadfast love. And aren't you glad we have a God of steadfast love? None of us would be in existence if we did. We would have been born in the pits of hell because we didn't deserve to draw one breath and receive one bit of his kindness but yet he's a god of hissed that that will give us like we learned about jonah the first second hundredth chances to to love and to to serve and obey him don't you love his hesed and yet the god of hesed commands us and says what he requires of us is that we be people of Hesed. That the same long-suffering that he, he gives us in our own lives from Him is the same Hesed that we are to practice to others. Starting in our own church among each other, we are to be long-suffering and go the distance with each other and look past offenses. But then also radiating to our relationship with those outside of the church who so desperately in a world of division where we're casting off friendships and, and, and family members because they voted a certain way, in a world where divorce is so quick and easy, the world needs to see a people who represent a God of hesed, a God of relationship, a God of, rela of, 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 of enduring relationship. He so desperately 
need to be loved like that? Are you? Are you loving the people in your church and outside of your church with that amazing covenant love that God has given to you? And thirdly, God requires that we walk humbly with Him. That we, we do justice and we love kindness or love hesed and that we walk humbly with Him. We must humble ourselves under God. We have to, we have to humble ourselves under Him. God was, was judging Israel because they had shut their ears to His Word. They were not only disobeying it, they didn't want to hear it. And so, so deep was their rebellion against His Word that He stopped talking to them. If you want to know whether or not you truly are humble before God, ask yourself whether you're obeying His Word. In chapter 4 of Micah, he points to a coming time, a good time, when all the nations will live in this amazing state of paradise. And, and as I read this, I want you to notice how this paradise is so connected to the words of God. Micah 4.2, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His way. So they want to go and, and hear Him teach. That we may walk in His paths. So not just hear what He teaches, but then to walk in the paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. God's law is coming out and they love it. Uh, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up word against nation or sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each of in the name of its God. But we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Listen to me. True joy comes from conformity to the Word of God. The paradise described right there uh, that's what communism uses when they talk about, uh, they, they use this verse to, to, to turn a sword into a plowshare. We're going to give up war and, and then we're going to farm. But the reality is, is that they're forgetting that that doesn't come from government power. It doesn't come from worldly philosophies. It comes from people loving the Word of God, of hearing the Word coming out of Jerusalem and saying, yes, we want to walk in that, we want to do more of that. And that is where paradise comes from. Can I tell you this morning that wherever chaos reigns supreme in your life, it's likely to come from a lack of humility towards God's Word. Is your marriage in turmoil? Have you truly considered what the Bible says about your marriage, about forgiveness, about love? 
Do you find yourself miserable? Could it be that there's an area in your life where you know you haven't humbled yourself under the Word of God? And so therefore, you're miserable. We must humble ourselves under the Word of God. But most of all, we must humble ourselves under His Son. We have a very amazing prophecy in chapter 5 in Micah, and you've probably heard it many Christmases. Chapter 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great, to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So from Bethlehem will come a ruler who is ancient of days. That, that term ancient of days or from of old is always a scripture of God himself. It is used in reference to God's character or his laws being ancient of days. It is a title that is confined to God himself. So Who is it that is born in Bethlehem that is from ancient of days? Of course, it's Christ. It's Jesus. Because it's going to take more than just doing justice and being nice to save us from our wretched lives of sin. It's going to take a Savior. A Savior. We must humble ourselves under the shepherd king and become one of his flock. Do you know that that you will be, in the words of this beautiful verse, dwelling secure under this ruler? Do you know for a fact? Let me ask you something. Have you ever humbled yourself before God and said, God, I can't do it. I cannot be just enough. I cannot be kind enough to warrant your love. I need something more, and and that is Christ. Have you ever come to a point in your life where you realize you need Christ? You need the one who lived that perfect, righteous life and died that death he did not deserve so that you may have that life, that you might be forgiven of your sins. Have you trusted him? Have you humbled yourself under Christ? I would encourage you this morning that if you are not secure under humbling yourself in Christ under God, that you would do that this morning before it's too late, before that opportunity has passed you by. God's main point here is that, look, What I've commanded to you as a people, it's not, it's not complicated. I think about Jesus when he was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, 
is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is likened to it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. It's not complicated. And so God has told us, do justice. Go do good works. Because you've been set free in the gospel. Go do good things. Love people. Get into relationship with people and go the distance and endure, endure in the sake of that relationship and, and pursue that relationship through all the pain and agony that relationships cause. That's what God has done for us. And God requires of us to humble ourselves before him because all the justice that we can do, all the kindness in the, in, in the world will not close the gap between us and his holiness. It's only when we humble ourselves under the one of ancient of days that was born in Bethlehem. So I would ask you in your own life, are you, are you doing justice? Are you seeking to do good every day that you live? Starting in your own home with your own spouse and your kids, radiating to your job, Young people radiating to your school, are you one that goes and does justice? Then are you one that values relationships? That values relationships, that loves people the way God has so faithfully loved you? And do you walk humbly with your God? Or are there some things that are not in conformity to Him and His Word? Are you kind of like the people of Micah's day and putting your finger in your ear because you don't want to hear it? Or have you humbled yourself under the Word? And most of all, have you humbled yourself under Christ? I'm going to ask our musicians to come and I ask you to respond however God has placed on your heart through His Word to respond. Please stand and we'll pray. I'll pray God's blessings uh, upon you as you reflect on these, this message this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would seek to be people that do what you've called good. God, that we would seek to be people that take serious what you require. God, I pray that you would help us to do justice, to do good, to fight injustice, to try to make the world we live in better because of the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us to be kind, to love hesed, to love relationships, to love enduring relationships with each other in church especially, but also uh, to those around us who so desperately need that kind of love in their life that they might go to the God, the author of Hesed. And God, I pray that we would humble ourselves, walk obediently in your word, that we might have joy in this life and in the life to come. And God, help us to humble ourselves under your word and under your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.